Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 81. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll continue on in our study of Romans chapter 2. And so unless you're driving, turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 12, and we'll pick up there. I've got some really interesting stuff in these first few verses. Uh, Paul says, all who sin outside the law, in other words, those who are not Jews uh, or who have not heard the word of God, all who sin outside the law will also perish without reference to it, meaning that they don't know about it. And all who sin under the law, Jews, those who know God and are seeking him, will be judged in accordance with it. For it is not those who hear the law who are just in the sight who are just in the sight of God, rather those who observe the law will be justified. So apparently it's what you do and what you don't do that has uh, an impact on your eternal life, right? This is all in chapter two. And the reason I'm building this case, or rather the reason Paul is building this case, is there's a rather strange interpretation of a couple of verses in chapter three that we'll look at uh, perhaps even in this session, but probably the next one. And we want to make sure we look at what came before uh, chapter three. Uh, so it's pretty clear Paul's talking about, hey, you got to keep the law, right? It's what you do and what you don't do, right? That is an important part of your salvation. He'll, he'll fill in the rest of the blanks in chapter three. Okay, but then in verse four, he says, for when the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jews, who do not have the law by nature observe the prescriptions of the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Well, once again, Paul takes a very simple concept and uh, makes a very difficult, wordy explanation of what he's trying to say. So basically he's saying, hey, there is such a thing as a natural law that even if you never heard of Jesus Christ, or for that matter, if you're not familiar with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even in the Old Testament, there is still a natural law. For example, as a human being, you know that, if you're an adult at least, you know that it, it, there's something wrong with doing harm to your neighbor. And you know that only because you don't want your neighbor to do something bad to you on purpose, right? So somebody who didn't know anything about God would, if you ask them, is it a good thing to go up to somebody and kill them or steal from them? Um, they should say, if they had any kind of conscience at all, and I think most people have conscience for at least for a while, they just don't follow it. They, they should say, yeah, that would be wrong because I don't want anybody to do that uh, to me. You could be, you know, the, the worst person on the planet, but if somebody does something to you, you want justice, right? You, you want the person who does something bad to you to, uh, to suffer for it, 
all right? So there is a certain natural law there. When you have children, you don't seek to starve them to death. You seek to feed them. You, uh, you ha it's just part of the natural law. And so what Paul is taking a long way to say is that, hey, you will be judged in some sense on your behavior and you can't just claim ignorance of God for your bad behavior. But if you do know of God and you continue on bad behavior or a lack of good behavior, you're still going to be judged. Or as we saw in the Gospels, you must bear fruit, to put it in a positive way. And he sums this up in verse 16 of Romans chapter 2, where Paul says, on the day when, according to my gospel, and he's talking about the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of Paul, as, as if it were something separate. According to my gospel, God will judge people's hidden works. So underline that whole verse 16 there. That'll come in handy if you ever get in this discussion about salvation with, uh, with some types of Protestants there. So let's look at that again. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge people's hidden works through Christ Jesus. Okay. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter and he says, okay, so uh, the, the non-Jew is not off the hook if he's a bad person because there's a natural law. that You don't even need a Bible to know that it's bad to do certain things. But then he turns his attention to the, the Jew and says, okay, you, you're also trying to follow the law, um, but you fail to teach yourself and um, you, you do bad things. You know, he names a few of them, adultery, idolatry, um, dishonoring God, breaking the law. And then in verse 25, he picks up on the idea of circumcision. So a lot of Jews would have said, hey, I'm a circumcised man. I was circumcised by my parents uh, as an infant to show their, and through them, by extension, my belonging to the tribe of Israel, the people of God. So therefore, I should be uh, you know, I should be admitted, if you will, to to the ultimate, um, you know, followers. I, I am an ultimate follower of God. So Paul goes on and, and develops in verse 25 through 29. Well, actually, and then into chapter three after that. Hey, okay, so you're circumcised. So uh, that's great in and of itself. I will summarize that, um, in essence, he's saying circumcision, you know, that's not a bad thing. By the way, what was the point of circumcision? Well, it was to show that you were specially marked, if you will, as, as one of God's own, just as baptism in the New Testament is a mark of being one of God's own. But further, it, what happens in circumcision? It's separating flesh from the rest of yourself, right? Just picture that process, or better yet, don't picture that process. But at any rate, it's removing yourself from the flesh, if you will. 
So, uh, and we want to strive from removing ourselves from the earthly desires, if you will, that, um, you know, that, that happened to us. So he talks about circumcision and he mentions the word circumcision or uncircumcision. Uh, in the next five verses, he mentions it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight times in five verses, he talks about circumcision. Okay. And he's saying circumcision, the physical act of it, it's not enough. You know, you can say, well, I follow the law and I got circumcised, but uh, that's that's not e enough, right? So Paul is a little confusing in chapter two thus far, because at one point he's talking about works in the first parts that we read of chapter two, works being, you know, being a good person, doing good deeds or not doing bad deeds. So that's where he's talking about works at the first part of this. And then uh, from, verse, uh, from verse 17 on, he's talking about works in terms of the ceremonial works, like getting circumcised and, uh, you know, well, here he's talking primarily about uh, getting circumcised as, as that being works as well. So now that we've made a distinction between Paul's two meanings of the word works. Perhaps we, when we get into chapter three, it'll make a little more sense to us when we get to um, one verse that is very controversial amongst uh, Christians that seems to divide Catholics and other Christian people. So it begins with chapter three, and he goes on talking about circumcision or being a Jew. And he says, well, there's some good to that in the sense that Jews were first entrusted with the utterances of God in chapter, in verse two of chapter three. And uh, so then he goes on and says, but you know, we're all sinners. There's a universal bondage to sin. And he quotes from the Old Testament in chapter 3, beginning at the end of verse 10 and on, uh, he quotes from, and so you might want to underline verse 10 through 18 there, and in your margins, you would want to write 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, and 2 Chronicles, I believe it's 6, chapter 6, verse 36 where we see these quotes in the, in the Old Testament talking about sin. There's a little bit of hyperbole here. You've seen elsewhere where Scripture contains a lot of hyperbole, and we're about to see one. Verse 10, there is not one just, not one, so nobody's good, right? There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Well, that's kind of hyperbole. Hopefully, you are seeking God. I try to seek God, and uh, so this is hyperbole. It's like uh, a, a fan of a football team saying, we don't have one decent player on this team that belongs in the league, or we will never win another game, you know, something like that. 
it's it's a strong statement designed to emphasize something that may not be literally true. Okay, that's hyperbole, and we've seen a number of examples of that. And he goes on to say, verse 12, all have gone astray, all alike are worthless. There is not one who does good. There is not even one, etc. Okay, we get it. Well, first of all, we know it's hyperbole because Jesus was sinless. We as Catholics believe that Mary was sinless. Um, in order to be sinless, you have to know what you are doing. So pe many people who have uh, intellectual disabilities, uh, they, um, you know, they may still, uh, they, they, they are incapable of sinning if they don't know right, right from wrong, okay? So, but his point is in general, hey, we all sin. And uh, we, would, we would certainly agree with that. We all have concupiscence. Uh, we all sin. And he summarizes that in verse 23 of Romans 3, where he says, all have sinned, again, a little bit of a hyperbole, and are deprived of the glory of God. But we must admit that, that we're certainly sinners. So thus far, we see no disagreement with anything that Paul has read. And I might add, we won't see any disagreement with what Paul has, uh, has written as we go on. We will see some disagreement with a particular Protestant interpretation of something that uh, Paul has written. And let's get into that right now. He talks about the need for faith, which we agree on. Let's look at Romans 3.28. Underline this verse, please. This would be a Protestant argument if you take this verse out of context. That's why we're going to underline it. Romans 3.28. For we consider that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law underline that. Let's talk about that. Okay, Martin Luther in the 1500s, so in other words, Martin Luther came along and missed the first three quarters of the history of, of Christianity. Martin Luther, a little background on him, he was, uh, he was a bit troubled. He uh, was frightened of a thunderstorm one time as he was riding his horse, and he said, God, if you get me out of this, if you let me live, I will uh, be a priest for you. He survived that. He did become a priest, but he would admit himself, and in his writings, you can read them, that he was very guilty of what we'll call scrupulosity. That is to say, he was so concerned that he was not living up to Christian standards. And it is said that he went to confession sometimes multiple times in a day. And uh, there was one source that suggested that he went to confession one time eight times in a day. And the priest is listening to the confession. You know, you can tell who it is through the voice, right? And um, he, and so at some point, the priest said, okay, is that all? And then it, according to the source, um, Martin Luther said, no, I just had another impure thought. <laughs> so he had an impure thought in the confessional. Well, if you're that scrupulous, you know, it's good to examine your conscience, but going to confession eight times a day, come on. Uh, if you're that scrupulous, 
there's only two potential endings to that scrupulosity. Either number one, you got to check yourself into a nut house, okay? Or number two, you have to change your theology. So even though he read Romans 1 and 2, uh, he found this verse, and this verse, he built his whole theology on it. Uh, so let's read it again, Romans 3.28. For we consider that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay. So what are works of the law? We just saw the last part of chapter two, Paul's talking about circumcision. So one way to read this from a Catholic standpoint would be to say you're justified by faith apart from ceremonial Jewish laws like circumcision and dietary laws and all that. Uh, getting circumcised does not justify you before God in and of itself. Okay, and we certainly would agree with that. And, and in fact, we would agree with the whole verse. We don't disagree with any verse in the Bible. We just disagree with some interpretations. So, in addition, you could, uh, Martin Luther says, we're uh, reading that verse again, justified by faith apart from works of the law. Um, he's saying you're justified by faith, Paul is saying, and that's where the process starts, okay, apart from works of the law. But Luther wasn't satisfied with that phraseology. He retranslated the Bible into German and he put, he put instead of apart from the justified by faith, apart from works of the law, he put in is justified by faith alone. Faith alone. Okay. Is that what it says in there? No, it doesn't say that. And so, in fact, he had a dialogue with Rome on this and he was sent back a letter and they said, you know very well that it doesn't say faith alone in here. Um, and Luther, his response to Rome was, Luther knows very well, he's speaking in the, you know, in the, in the first person here, Luther knows very, or the third person, I guess, Luther knows very well what, what the Bible says, but Luther has decided that that's what it really means, and Luther is sticking with what he said. So I think that's the epitome of arrogance, first of all, to ignore what the church had been teaching for 1,500 years at that point, just so that he could assuage his own guilt feelings, uh, his own scrupulosity, his own need to go to confession, you know, all the time. So he didn't end up in a nut house. Instead, he changed his theology. And so he said, okay, I'm justified by faith alone, which is wrong. As a matter of fact, the only place in Scripture where it says, uh, where it talks about being saved is in James 2, uh, James chapter 2, where it says, you are, are saved by works and not by faith alone. So I want to be clear, the only time in all of Scripture where the words faith and alone are together, are next to each other, 
is in James where it says you are saved by works and not by faith alone. So we've got to be able to reconcile this apparent contradiction. I maintain there's no contradiction because faith alone is, is not a phrase that Paul uses in Romans 3.28. He says, justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're going to continue on in the next session, further developing this difference between Luther and many Protestants and the Catholic tradition as to how we are saved. And we're going to take a a further look at Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and unpack those differences. It's too important to just deal with in one 20-minute segment, so we'll do at least one more on that. It's so essential and one of the primary differences between our Protestant friends and ourselves. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we thank you for Paul's writings, which we agree with totally, every word. Um, But we disagree with uh, some of the interpretations that our separated brethren have about those words. We thank you that Paul is so clear in Romans chapter 2 about our need to live the Christian life and not merely have an intellectual assent or just have faith without followed without any works at all. Uh, So help us to further develop this in our next session. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.